Today's video is brought to you by my latest book, When Religion Kills, a look at how the so-called faithful in many religions advocate murder in the name of their God. Buy it today. Just click on the link in the text portion of this podcast. The country where the Arab Spring started almost a decade ago is now worrying about a new wave of terrorism. Hi, this is Phil Gursky, and you're listening to Quick Hits. So we're now living in a very difficult time, especially in Western Europe. We've had attacks against school teachers. We've had attacks in churches. We just had an attack in Vienna, Austria last night. was reading online this morning that police and security forces across the continent are stepping up their patrols and their checkpoints. They're worried about more terrorism. And one of the countries that is uh, popping up uh, a fair bit these days is Tunisia, North African country. One of the more stable African countries, if I can use that term, historically, of course, it was a dictatorship for the longest time, and it was the home of the Arab Spring, the fruit vendor who immolated himself when his cart was seized, his license was taken by a female police officer. I believe she slapped him in the face as well. He said, well, screw this. I'm going to kill myself to make a point. And that was the straw that broke the camel's back, which led to the revolutions right across the Muslim world. Here we are almost a decade later. And a lot of that has unfortunately slid back to other dictatorships like Sisi in Egypt. And of course, the Assad regime is still in Syria, so the Arab Spring didn't have a heck of a lot of, of change there. But I want to focus on Tunisia today for uh, a very good reason. Not just because the young man who killed people in Nice in the church was from Tunisia. He was an, an immigrant. He had left Tunisia illegally, ended up on the Italian island of Lampedusa, found his way eventually to France, and then you know the rest of the story. So France has been talking to, to Tunisia about expelling a whole bunch of other Tunisians it wants to get rid of. Tunisia has also agreed to cooperate with France in this particular regard. But what's coming out in some of the reporting that I'm seeing is that there is a concern in Tunisia. This is a post made in the Arab Weekly. It says, Tunisian authorities have arrested two people after a video posted on social media carried a claim of responsibility for the Nice attack. And uh, furthermore, the young man named uh, Aisawi, uh, quote, fits the profile of poor young school dropouts doing odd jobs and wavering between religiosity and petty crime. So this is leading to a real concern in Tunisia that you may be seeing a, a new trend. I'm going to push back a little bit against this today. This is not a new trend at all. And let me let me tell you why. Despite the fact that Tunisia was known as the seat of the Arab Spring, this massive movement of democracy and rights and overthrowing dictatorships, Tunisia's had a huge problem with Islamist extremism for a very, very long time. It was one of the countries that produced the most foreign fighters for Islamic State and other terrorist groups in Syria and Iraq after the Arab Spring. Estimates that I've seen are as many as 6,000 Tunisians wanted to go fight with Islamic State. There have been a number of very well-known, large-scale attacks in Tunisia. There was an attack on, on a beach a few years ago in which I believe upwards of 35 largely British tourists 
were killed. Of course, the Brits see Tunisia as a cheap, sunny spot to go for vacation. There was an attack on a museum around the same time. Tunisian security forces are constantly fighting against those on its borders. Much of Tunisia is, is, is a wild country. It's easy to hide. It's easy to cross. Tunisia's neighbors are not the most stable. There's Algeria on the one side and Libya on the other. You know what's happening in Libya. It's been a hellhole for the past, well, ever since Gaddafi died. Jihadist groups, uh, outside interference, the Turks, the, the Emiratis, the Russians, uh, the Egyptians, you name it, are all making Libya a mess. And Tunisia's caught, sort of caught in the middle of this. And yes, the promises of the Arab Spring did not uh, pan out. A lot of Tunisians are still very poor. They, are, they can't find jobs, or they can't find meaningful jobs. The economy is not growing nearly as quickly enough as it needs to, to absorb a very high birth rate, a very large cohort of young Tunisians. COVID-19 was obviously not, not helping. I'm sure the tourism industry is in the toilet because of COVID. And that's a huge part of Tunisia's foreign currency earnings. But I want to get back to these numbers for a second. As I noted, estimates that I've seen are that upwards of 6,000 Tunisians wanted to go fight for Islamic State and other terrorist groups in Syria and Iraq in the, two, in the 2010s. But the problem is actually much larger than that. I was in Tunisia a couple of years ago. I was speaking at a conference. I forget the details. It was in Tunis. And I sat beside a, a Tunisian official during one of the sessions in which I was not presenting. And he shared with me some numbers, some statistics. He confirmed that, yes, thousands of Tunisians went to go fight for Islamic State. He also provided me a figure which to this day really, really shocks me. And I still can't wrap my, my mind around this. As if 6,000 Tunisians who went to go fight for Islamic State, some of whom died, some of whom are probably still there, some of whom may seek to come home to wreak havoc and carnage in their homeland. This is the whole big debate about whether we should repatriate those of our citizens who went to go fight for ISIS. The answer is no, we shouldn't. We should let them stand trial where their crimes were committed. As if 6,000 is not bad enough, this Tunisian official confided to me that Tunisian officials, police, security, intelligence, whatever, border agencies, they prevented 23,000 from going to fight with, with Islamic State. 23,000 people. Think of what that number represents. 23,000 people really, really wanted to go fight for a terrorist group. And they were prohibited from doing so. They were stopped. Why is this relevant? The attack that just took place in Vienna was carried out by an Albanian Austrian. He was born in North Macedonia, but was an Austrian for all intents and purposes. He had been investigated, he'd been arrested and charged and convicted on wanting to join ISIS, and he'd been sent to jail and then let out early. And as a consequence, he killed people in Vienna, near the synagogue last night. Tunisia has got a problem several orders of magnitude larger than any other country that I know about. 23,000 Tunisians wanted to fight and die for ISIS. And they were told they couldn't. So what do they do? Well, I guess a certain percentage are going to say, been there, done that, got the t-shirt, couldn't go. Well, I tried, guys. I'll go back to selling fish or smoking dope or whatever. Some will try again. Some will try to exit the country to join terrorist groups. Maybe not as far as Iraq. Maybe they'll just go next door to Libya or next door to Algeria or to the Sahel. Lots of problems in the Sahel. The reality is that there will be a certain percentage that'll say, you know what? Fuck you. If I can't do it there, I'll just do it here. Some of those 23,000 will plan acts of terrorism in Tunisia, and some of them will be successful. The security forces, as good as they may be, 
cannot watch 23,000 people. No security forces can. This isn't the Stasi of East Germany from the end of the Second World War to the fall of the, the Berlin Wall. No country has those kinds of resources. The bad news is that Tunisia is going to see more terrorism. And if France deports more people back to its country, Tunisian security forces will have to worry about them as well, find room on their agenda to investigate those. This is what bothers me about those who just say, oh, just bring them all back. Bring them all back. Require resources. They require investigation. They require determination as to what threat they pose, if any. And that takes time, and that takes money, and that takes people, and that takes effort, and that takes away from other investigations you're already doing. So no, we shouldn't bring back these people under any circumstances. If they can find their own way back, fine. They have a right to come back, but we don't have no no absolute obligation to go ahead and help them. They made their bed, they got to lie in it. Anyway, getting back to Tunisia, I fear I'll be doing more podcasts in the future on terrorist attacks in Tunisia. It's a country with a huge problem, not to mention their economic strife, economic difficulties. But if 23,000 Tunisians wanted to go fight and die for ISIS, and they're now sitting in Tunisia, Many of whom are probably not in jail or not being watched. God help the Tunisians. Anyhow, that's what I think. What are your experiences? Do you have any experience in Tunisia or in North Africa? What do you think about returnees? Drop me a line. You can reach me on email, borealisrescue.gmail.com or on Twitter at Borealis Saves. You also find me on LinkedIn and on Facebook. If you want to subscribe to all the content on Borealis, simply go to my website, borealisthreatenrisk.com. Hit the subscribe button. Give me your email address. You'll get a free daily digest, all the blogs, all the podcasts, all the material to your inbox first thing every morning. Love to hear from you. I'll talk to you again soon. Until then, stay safe.